0: cool well uh, we 're going to continue in worship this morning, and uh, the word and we are going to continue in a series we 've been doing for a while now. We started it back in January, did it a few weeks then skip ahead a little bit now we 're back in the book of ephesians if you 've been around, you know that if you were out last Saturday or Sunday at the park with us, um, you know it was a whole different vibe at the park for father 's day it was really cool, but we talked about some um, some of the same uh, challenges that Paul gives us from the book of Ephesians for Father's Day as all of us are given uh, in our faithfulness or in our call to be faithful in Christ Jesus. Um, this week, we're going to continue a thread that we started last week. As a matter of fact, I told you, in, as we went into the book of Ephesians, that it's kind of divided, you know, these first three chapters are about the reality of what we have been given in Christ and then 4 through 6 is this kind of how that looks in our life Paul makes a case to say this is how it it ought to look if you're following Jesus and um, we'll talk about this today as we walk through here we always be careful to to not say we're not about, about earning salvation the cross stands as a testament to a gift given to us we did not deserve it we didn't earn it and God just bestowed it on us. He gave us his only son. And, um, and yet Paul makes the case here in Ephesians about how as those who've been redeemed, we have a responsibility to go and share this good news with others and, and how our lives should look. Um, and Paul's going to get very practical this today as we continue in the book of Ephesians. I was thinking about radical differences in our uh, culture these days. We see some radical things happening. We see, for instance, whenever you show up in a foreign country to serve, to share the gospel, people who live there say, why would you ever come here? I remember when we went to um, uh, Costa Rica, someone was telling me there, if I lived in the United States, I would never leave. I would never leave. If I could get there, I would never leave. Why would you come here? And it seems radically different for people to come and, um, and join them there's other things in our life that I think that are radically different I just wanted to I want to share some with you because I, I thought I was thinking about how much things have changed in my lifetime I mean how much different they've become but I'm only like 40 years old so I'm not like you know long in a tooth per se I know some of you young folks are thinking man you're old <laughs> wait till you're 40 it's not old at all right <laughs> neither is 60 right <laughs> that's right um, but things have really changed a lot. I remember whenever my, my grandmother passed away, I was struck by how much life she had seen change. And I, I was thinking about a, a kind of a silly thing, but at my grandma's house, whenever I was uh, coming up, being raised, there was this wooden box on the wall, and you could speak into it, and people could hear you. And you had this ear thing. You would hold your ear. It was really weird. And we used to play with it. It didn't work. It was so old. It wasn't working anymore. And uh, and then it it hit me. And and I don't know if you guys, anybody have a phone with you this morning? Do you have one of these with you? Do you really? Here. At church? Are you serious? Together? You mean I could call? I could probably call Mike Dumbsor. I could call you right now. Isn't that weird? Yeah, thank you. Nathan's got one. Do you think this is weird at all? I was thinking about, well, let me show you something. I brought something to show you. Check this out. Now, I told you how old I was already, so not that old, right? But I was thinking about back whenever I was a kid. Now, you see, some of you guys are, see, it was that movie that uh, Napoleon Dynamite. Anybody see that? Oh. I remember that one of the students, uh, Angie, actually, she didn't know that was a period piece. She's like, what's up with the weird costumes? I'm like, that was the 80s, you know? <laughs> uh, just wait. It's coming for you too. All right, so, and here, and this is wild, because I was thinking it's like, I, this is the only one I have left, like this. And this became this. Now, I'm an IT guy, Right? What's crazy about this is it's not just this, it's, it's actually a computer. What? In my lifetime? This is a computer. Now, what's really funny, I say, you guys aren't amazed at all that you have phones here, right? I mean, what's the big, look at how, look at the range this sucker had. You know what I'm saying? It was like five feet. And it was mounted in the kitchen. So when you talk to your girlfriend, you had to talk in front of mom, you know? Cordless phones were amazing, right? You could go to your bedroom and close the door. Uh, This is my favorite thing. Check it out. Listen. Huh? You don't hear that anymore right? Last week we were at the park, this is no joke, and Dan's phone, iPhone, was on the uh, soundboard still. We got a call during uh, the gathering, and it sounded like an old school ringer. And I'm like, who brought a real phone? What is up with the real phone ringer? Ah, oh, Good stuff. Actually, as a matter of fact, they used to get, make these things portable by putting a longer cord on them so you could carry them around the house, <laughs> right? Uh, things change, don't they? And, and while this might seem like a silly thing, I mean, it might seem like a silly thing. Really, this isn't change, not radical change. It's just a progressive change, isn't it? Kind of over time, things have been changing. So, uh, let's see if this thing will even hold this. There we go. Don't fall. Today, we're going to talk about radical change. How things, and sometimes it is, but there's this reality that Paul says we are called to in Christ Jesus to be radically changed. We say, you know, we're going to share the gospel in in, uh, Africa. We're going to share the gospel in Hile. We're going to share the gospel wherever we are. But the gospel comes with an expectation that you will be radically changed by meeting Jesus Christ. Paul himself, his confession is that when he met Jesus, he was never the same. Never the same. And so today, Paul writes to us in the, in the book of Ephesians about how that change looks in our life. So join me in prayer. We always pray as we enter God's word because it's inspired by his Holy Spirit. It's inspired by him for our instruction, and therefore we should pray as we enter into it. Uh, please join me. Father, today we've come into your house to learn from you, to sit at your feet, and maybe we don't do that often enough. Maybe in our lives we're busy with stuff, and we don't sit and listen to you hear your instruction for us and then ask you to help us be obedient to follow it today if no other time father we pray we would set aside this time that we could be hearing your word that you could give us a a clear way forward and a power the power of your spirit to live out a life that's radically different in this world and father for everything we give you glory because we have we, we did nothing to deserve it but it's a gift from you, the gift of life. And so we give you praise and glory for this word and this chance to learn from you today. In Jesus' name. Amen. So go ahead. If you brought your Bible today, I'm going to invite you to open up to Ephesians chapter 4. If you didn't, grab one of ours. It's on page 815. It could be 11 or 12, I think. 811 or 12. We're in that range. You should be able to find it pretty close if you're in that area. And we're just going to kind of talk. Talk through. I I told you last week we're going to pick up where we left off last week at the park. There's this final thought that I wanted to jump off on as we continue in the book here. And this is where we stopped last week. Paul says, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I want to read that again with you. Verse 24, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, Paul says. As a matter of fact, if you read the whole thought there, starting in verse 22, it says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and put on your new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. The first thing as I was just, you know, moving in, into the scripture is I, I read the verse 24 and I, I was stunned. The word actually says that in Christ you were recreated for righteousness and holiness. I think for a lot of us, we, we know that Jesus saved us. We know that we were sinners. We know that we need him and this is all True. And yet what Paul says here is that in that moment of being reconciled to God, he actually recreated us in God to be holy and righteous. Holy is this idea of being set aside, right? And righteous means to stand rightly before God. And so Ephesians is going to get really real now about a life in Christ and what that looks like. Paul's going to walk through putting off and putting on and how that looks in our lives. But for many of us, we, we have this moment where we believe the gospel and then we think, okay, and we stand around and we, we wait. And what Paul says, and this is very clear, he says that there are some things that we ought now to do because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he says, there are things that we can only now do because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I'm I'm saying you couldn't do it before Jesus. And we're going to talk about why. Before you knew him as Lord and Savior, you could not do it. Um, Paul wasn't the only one with this thought. I'm going to share a a verse of scripture with you from uh, the first letter of john and and this is john first uh, john 3 8 right and this we've studied this book before together but this is what it says he who does what is sinful is of the devil see john's gonna set up this paradigm about how we're living our lives and he says he who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning i want you to remember that right the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the devil's work this is what John writes. And then in verse 9 here, he says, no one who is born of God, here it is, will continue to sin. Now, that's a hard word, right? Because you go, wait a minute, we're all sinners. And we are. But it's this idea of continually, perpetually living in sin. Why? Look at what he says. Because God, God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on continually sinning because he has been born of God. This is what Paul is talking about when he says, Now, as you know Christ, take off the old and put on the new. This is our call forward in Christ Jesus our Lord. I want you to see clearly that the reason is because God's seed is in us. That means that he has planted, he has started a work in us in Christ that will bring to fruition his plans, or his, our full maturity, full maturity in Christ. We talk about these things a lot here at Family Bible Church. But this is the hope that we have, that we've been recreated for holiness and righteousness. Now, one thing that we kind of struggle with because the Family Bible, we're always talking about be real, be real. And if you ask me, how are you? I'll say, I'm a mess. How, is things perfect? No, things aren't perfect, right? But there is a definite call as a disciple of Jesus to become more like God through his power in our lives. I mean, it's just, it's something the church has always taught and, and, and we also should be part of, of that, um, that learning process, how to become more Godlike in our lives. It's by His power that we will be able to do this. So, so that's kind of a little bit of the, this idea that he jumps off with in, in 24. Put on the new self, right? Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Read with me in verse 25. He says, Therefore, each of you must put off... Hang on, I'm stopping it. Therefore, right, we always say that, like, what, what? Because of this reality, Paul says, because of the new person that you've been created in in Christ, you should now do these things, right? I want to take just a moment to talk about this idea of putting off and putting on, and then we're going to walk through these, these list that Paul runs through. But there's this idea of putting off and putting on that we have to kind of understand. And uh, I wanted to take just a, a second because I was amazed again how when you read the word of God, how profound it really is. There's a little bit of Greek that's happening here and this putting off and putting on. I say that because I I read uh, and uh, preach from the NIV version of the Bible, but if you dig into the words, you know, the words behind the words, you'll, you'll see more depth of what's happening. And maybe a more way to, a more appropriate way to say it is, having put off, Paul says. Having put off, fill in the blank, now put on, fill in the blank. It's, it's this idea of something that has, has um, been done in the past but needs to be done and will be done in the future. That's kind of a weird thought, right? But by saying something like put off, he's saying having put off, Paul is expecting you to lay down the old ways of life. It's an expectation, but it's more than that. Because when he says, having put it off, he doesn't just mean that in the past you will have laid it down, that you will in your life lay down these sinful habits, but in the fruition of the kingdom of God, it will have been perfectly true that you walked away from the sin in your life. Never without sin, but you will have put off old things. All this is trapped in the language of the Greek. Now here's the thing. So he says, having put it off, it needs to be done, but it's going to be done for sure. Now, and it's an imperative, you must put on. There, you know, this is not an, an uncommon thing, but we don't think about it often. Have you ever tried to break a habit in your life? Have you ever succeeded at breaking a habit in your life? I mean, a real habit, right? Rarely can you just stop doing something? Have you ever seen this done before? People have a bad habit and they move from this bad habit to, to a different habit. You replace what you're doing. And, and, and this isn't news to God. I think it's news to us. Really? Do you think eating licorice helps you stop smoking? I know somebody who that thinks that's true. Do, do you think that chewing gum helps stop smoking? I know people who that think that's true. I mean, do you think that um, reading helps you stop watching TV? I know people think that's true. You you stop this and you start that. If you just stop one thing, it leaves this void and it's almost like, well, what do you do? Well, Paul here says, take off and now you must put on. But the difference between our habits and what Paul's talking about is the sin that is offensive to God. He repeatedly says, should we go on sinning because grace abounds? No way. God's grace will cover all sin. Should we sin more? No way. Paul says we should not continue sinning. So, we have this idea of putting off and putting on. By the way, I want you to notice one more thing with me. One more thing. In verse 22, the first three words he says is, as you were taught... As you have been taught, put off and put on. What that means is that this putting off and putting on process is not only expected of believers, but it's learned behavior. I can't tell you how many times I've said, I've heard other people say, I just ain't made that way. I just can't do that. And Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says, as you have been taught. By the way, I going to remind you something else about Ephesus. Ephesus was a city where there were all kinds of false gods. There's all kind of a religious practice that had no life in it. And Paul's like, remember what we taught you to put off the old stuff and put on the new stuff. This is what you've learned to do. And that's an encouragement to me because whenever I see some of these things that Paul says, I'm like, wow, how do I do that? But we can learn to do it. Because of God's spirit living in us, all right? So we can learn it. Having put off blank, because you should and can, now you must put on this other thing. Check it out. We're going to walk through some things. So this idea of putting off the old, right? And then putting on the new, okay? So let's read on ahead now. Picking up again in verse 25. Therefore, for this reason, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, right? Because we are all members of one body. The first thing, and by the way, on your engagement sheets today, if you grabbed one, there's a spot that says, what should I put off and what should I put on? Uh, just keep that in mind today as we're studying God's Word. But what Paul says is, stop lying. That's really what he's, put off falsehood. That's a nice way of saying, don't be a liar. No more. You know, this is a really hard thing because I think all of us, well, we excuse it. It's a a little lie. It's just a little thing, right? We've talked about this before at Family Bible. The reality is that truth is absence of lies. That's how it's defined. There's not a lie in it. It's absolutely true. And when Paul says, stop lying and instead speak the truth, to one another. He, here's the thing, if you have the habit of lying, I know there are people who just do it. They, it's, it's a habit. You can learn to speak the truth. A few weeks ago, we talked about speaking the truth in love, but you can start with just speaking the truth. That's a risky thing. That's a risky change to make in your life. Tell the truth big things or little things, whatever it is in your life, God calls us to be honest, to be truthful, to be bearers of truth. And this, again, is a gift that he has given us, to be speaker. Remember I told you earlier, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. It says he's the father of lies, and all lies come from him. If you were lying, you were a child of Satan. Be a truth teller in the world. Tell the truth. And this is something, by the way, that even, you know, uh, the... uh, the, the, the good people, you know, do. Because you think, well, I, if I have to admit the truth of that, I'm not going to fill in the blank, be as smart, be as accepted, uh, whatever, you know. Speak truth. Here's an example for you. Someone comes up to you and they ask you a really hard question about something. They're really struggling with their life. They're really something going bad. And, and, and you feel like, man, I got to say something. I got to say something profound and positive, but you have no idea what to say, you can just say, I don't know. That's truth. You can say, that's hard. That's truth. Platitudes, cheap words. God says, put them off and instead put on true words. Speak truthfully. Look at the word with me, if you will. He says, therefore you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Why? Because we are all members of one body. We are all in this together. And there is no benefit. There is no benefit to lying to one another. I think sometimes we don't believe that that's true. Check out this next one. Paul says in 26, in your anger, do not sin. Sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry, and do not let the devil get a foothold. Uh, There's another translation of the word that says, be angry, but don't sin. Be angry, but don't sin. You know, the, uh, I put that up here as misguided anger. I know some people in the world who are really angry, and and I've I've said this before to you guys individually, I know, but in guys, I see that when you're, when guys are hurt, They lashed out all kind of crazy directions. And I'm not saying that's always true, but often, and this anger manifests, and I will talk to someone who loves this man, and they will say, I don't know where this comes from. And I will say, it comes from pain. And you're just fighting your way out of the bag. You don't even know which way to swing. And it comes out all crazy. It's misguided. Now, you might think that it says, don't be angry. That's not what the word says. The word says, be angry but don't sin in your anger. That's what it says. It says, put off misguided anger and instead uh, don't sin when you're angry. Now, that might sound like a crazy contradiction, but you know the word for sin is really just missing the mark. Did you know that? It's like an archer taking aim at a target. And when you sin, you aim and you miss. You know, Dan talked about camp earlier. We have an archery class at camp every year. The kids love it. But it's hard to hit the target. But what the Word says is that when you're angry, you can be just flailing around dangerously. It can be crazy. And Paul says, no. When you're angry, hit the mark. That's a weird thing to say. What does that mean? I, I, I told you before, I know people who are just angry. And you know I see all the time? They're angry at all the wrong stuff. They're angry at all the wrong people. I mean, you know, you, you know somebody that has a job where they're treated really poorly at work and they're mad. They're so mad and they're like, I shouldn't have to take this stuff. And you know what? They're right. But you know how they manifest that anger in their life? They come home and they scream at their wife, they scream at their kids. Because why? It's misguided. No. Let your anger hit its mark. I'm going to, we're going to walk through this with this next thought from Paul. But here, here's the thing. Someone has sinned against you? Be angry with the sin. God hates sin. You sin in the world? Be angry with your sin. Don't sin in your anger. And that's the easy thing to do. All this, remember, is this life of Christ in us, the seed of him living in us, making us more like his son and our savior, Jesus. You know, you remember that Jesus himself was angry. Do you remember that? He went into a church and started flipping stuff over because it was supposed to be a house of prayer. Jesus himself was angry and did not sin. And so here's this call. There is injustice in the world. There are things that we should be upset about, but we have to make sure we're upset. We hit the mark. And it's easy to miss, isn't it? It's so easy to do that. The next thing that Paul says here is... Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. You know, some of us have gotten so used to being angry, let it kind of just hang out with us. We just live with it. We put it on like an old robe, don't we? This is the old man, Paul says, putting on your anger, your hurts, letting them kind of just fester and dwell. And if you let anger live in your life, it'll just kind of spread out everywhere. It'll infect everything. C.S. Lewis has one of the greatest quotes on, on this experience we have of becoming followers of Jesus, disciples born again in his name. He says, for those who are bound for heaven, all will have been heaven. And for those bound for hell, all will have been hell. What he's saying is that if you live in an anger-saturated environment, you will look around and life will be miserable and it will be all-consuming. Don't let your anger stay. Don't let it live. How does Paul say to deal with it? He says, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, that's a funny thing to say, isn't it? But my wife and I have practiced this sometimes. Not perfectly. There are nights where we let the sun go down and we're still angry. Do you ever do that? If you do, do you ever have that twinge? Do you ever have that spirit of God in you saying, go up and be reconciled? That's God's work in your life. Do not let your anger stay, but let your anger lead to an action. You know what the action is? Reconciliation. I told you earlier, anger comes from hurt. You know, anger comes from fear. It has a purpose in our life. There are some injustices in the world that we should be angry about, but just being angry for the sake of anger is no help at all. Let your anger direct you. Let it impassion you and to make sure that we hit our mark. I hope that makes sense. That that one's an interesting one for me because it's so subtle because I feel like you're saying act on anger, but there is an action. There is this reality that things are not right, and I believe more profoundly than anyone else, Christians know this about the world. We look around and it's broken, and it can be frustrating to see, and yet Paul says, don't let the sun go down while you're angry. Do something about it. That could be true in your marriage. It could be true in the world. Act, let your anger lead to action. This is interesting, verse 27. And don't let the devil get a foothold. Isn't that an interesting word to put in the Bible? Don't let the devil get a foothold, you know. It it was it was used to say, like, don't let the devil have a place. Don't give him a seat at your table. You ever think about that? When you're sitting down to a meal, if you're angry, you're giving him a little spot at the table with you to hang out, you know. I love the idea of a foothold. I remember some of the Greenville College students had a retreat up in uh, Illinois, northern Illinois, and we went up there, and there was this huge climbing wall, and, uh, and, and, and the guys were kind of, you know, it's a guy's retreat, so they're goading each other, you know, de- daring each other. Hey, are you going to climb it? Are you going to climb it? You know, and we're all kind of embarrassed to not make it to the top or whatever, um, especially me because I was like the oldest guy there, I think, maybe, <laughs> pretty close <laughs> to the oldest guy there, and so they're saying, are you going to do it? I'm like, I'm not doing that, man. I'm not because I don't want to be embarrassed, right? And then I started thinking about it. I had not climbed a wall before. I had tried a wall at the YMCA in front of our youth. And and some of the youth went right up there, you know. And and I tried to climb that. And I didn't make it. It was terrible. (laughs) And they're like, you can do it. And I'm like, no, I can't. And I couldn't. Went out to Colorado. And we did some real rock climbing in Colorado with a a camp I went to. And you know what the, the climbers told me? It's all about your feet all the is in your legs he's like get your toe hold get your foothold, and then push up don't try he, they said the reason that guys can't climb and sometimes women are better climbers than men is because guys think they can muscle up use your legs and so I learned in Colorado how to climb we're at this men's retreat and there's all these 20 something young men strapping young guys you know football players college athletes geniuses and all that good stuff right because at that age you can be those things and they're daring me to climb this wall and I start watching them and, Couple of them don't make it and I'm starting to feel like, alright, and I remember, get a foothold. And I went right up that wall. <laughs> 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 Hit the top. I'm like, well that was the easy side. So I went to the other side. <laughs> <laughs> Hit the top. I didn't tell them how to do it. Because <laughs> it was more fun to beat them. <laughs> you know what it was though? Foothold. They were young men pulling. <laughs> Paul says, don't let the devil get a foothold. That's where his power. Climb right up your back. He'll own you. Anger will be a foothold for the devil in your life. And Paul says, hit the mark and let it lead to action. Don't let him have a spot. It's a huge issue we need to deal with in the church and beyond. So there you go. Reading on, verse 28. Love this. He who has been stealing must steal no longer. Now, this makes sense to us, especially given if you know the Ten Commandments as a child. Thou shalt not steal, right? It's written down right there in the Bible for us all to know. It's pretty easy. Don't take stuff that's not yours. Your mom probably told you that when you were growing up, or your grandma or somebody who loved you said, don't take stuff that's not yours, and yet, you know, like me, you've probably done it. Taking stuff. It just seems easier, doesn't it? Just take something that belongs to somebody else. Paul says, those who have been stealing must steal no longer. By the way, I want to remind you, he's writing to the saints in Ephesus, the church, the holy people of God. And he says, stop stealing. Stop stealing. Check it out. But instead of stealing, you must work doing something useful with your own hands that you may have something to share with those in need. I was blown away, and I told somebody that this last week. Whoever thought that the reason that you have a job is so you can share with others? Did you know that said in the Bible? That's what that says right there. Are you gainfully employed? The word says that if you are working with your hands, you are given the work to share with others. Look at what it says. He who has been stealing should steal no longer, but instead must work, do something useful with their hands. It literally means to exhaust yourself, to work, to exhaust the efforts in what you're doing so that you might give with others. That's what the word says. Give along with others. Share with those who are in need. This is interesting because I think, well, what's the problem with stealing anyway? What's the problem with stealing? It's a Ten Commandment. We we shouldn't do it. But what's the problem? And then it hits me that stealing is the exact opposite of working so you can share. Stealing is saying that something that someone else has, they shouldn't have, and I need it more. I want it more. It's mine for the taking. And working... To, so you can share, says that I'm going to pour myself into something so I can give it away. It's the exact opposite. I never thought about that way before. I never thought about the reality that feeling is fundamentally selfish. I mean, we just kind of slap people on the wrists for it, don't we? It's some kind of a manifestation that we believe. It's like this kind of, we are the center of the universe and what we want is more important, therefore we'll take what's ours. This is, if you look at the laws and stuff we have, it's like the fundamental issue that we're selfish people. And Paul says, no way. If you've been stealing to this point in your life, and I love that he wrote back to a church that had thieves in it. Man, that's so cool. And he's like, if you've been stealing, I hope this word sets with you. It sets with me. Then instead, get a job so you can give stuff to others. This is the work of Christ in you. This is the same thing. Put off stealing so you can put on generosity. Do you think stealing is the opposite of being generous? That's what the Bible says. Is that God's plan for us to work so that we can become generous people? I I don't know how you were raised. I was raised that the reason that you work is so you get what you want. That's what I was taught. I mean it. You want something, you work for it. And then you can buy it, you can have it. No one taught me I should work so I can share. Not until I got into the Word. Not until God sat with me and said, you know how much you have? And you become generous. I'm not saying I'm generous. Ask Chris. I struggle with this. He says, work so you can share with others. I'll remind you that the Bible, the narrative of God's love for us, starts this way. In the beginning, God created. Why did he create? For pleasure, for himself, for us. He gave us everything. You see this beautiful day today when you go out, gift. Who? God. Why? He's generous. You see the guy getting away with stuff out there? God hasn't, you know, struck him down, right? Your own sin. God hasn't struck you down. He's given you grace. Why? He's generous. The word says in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his only son. He gave him to us. Why? God's generous. Earlier we read that the reason we can be holy and righteous is because he put a seed in us. We were born again. Why? Why? Because he's generous. He gives us the spirit. His work is manifest in our lives because he's a generous God. The sin of stealing is rooted in the selfishness and lack of generosity. God's heart is generous, and he wants us to share with him in that generosity. I hope you see that. That's profound to me. That's a profound reality. God calls us to be generous. All right. 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, Paul says, church. Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Isn't that interesting? Well, this is a tough one too, isn't it? So far, Paul's hit like anger, stealing, uh, and now talking about others, the word, it's rotten words. The, 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 the word literally means poisoning each other, right? Don't let unwholesome talk, that's a nice, nice euphemism for don't poison each other with the things that you say. Paul says this is happening in the church. The way we use our mouths are not honoring to God or to others. Paul says, no longer let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. By the way, I want to remind you that when he says every one of these statements, the implication is that you have been called to make the change as a follower of Jesus. Not to be saved, but to become a faithful follower. And he says, let no more unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. This is a really hard thing. Check it out. But only let come out what is helpful for, helpful for building others up, and a benefit to those who listen. Isn't that interesting? So from now on, when you speak, other than not speaking lies, you don't even say things that are going to be poisonous or have ill effect on people. And, and again, I hope you have a sense of this in your life. Because if you have a sense of it, I believe it, it's an indication that you're a child of God, born again, and you're sensing your spirit living in you. And the words come out, and you go, oh, and it just burns. You shouldn't have said that. The words that we should use, church, are words that build others up. You remember we talked just a couple weeks ago about the call to equip the saints for works of service. That's our call as a church. Building each other up with our language as well. Building each other up, Paul says, is what we're called to do, to construct one another, to help one another. And not only that, but he says that it may be a benefit to those who listen. Now that's interesting to me because when I first read that, I thought, okay, so you, you, you don't talk bad, right, about someone to someone else. That's the way I read that, right? So that if I speak, I'm not going to speak poison to this person on that person, you know, poison for that person to this person, but instead I'm going to speak um, words that build them up in their eyes. That's not exactly what the word says here. It says when you speak truth, speak words that will build them up if that person you're speaking to will hear them speaking the truth in love. Do you remember that? That when someone comes and speaks to us, as a listener, they should be words that would encourage us, that would be a benefit to us if we would obey them. I have a very simple thought on this. It's profound. And I, don't, I was frustrated as I was preparing this morning because I don't do this well enough, and I'm not sure if you do. I remember I went to a workout class for a while, right? And, and, and it meant every week... And Janae Stewart, I don't know if Janae is here today, but Janae Stewart led this workout class. And the profound reality for me was I had been overweight for a long time. I've been overweight for a long time. And simply by committing to being in a room and listening to her instruction, I lost weight. Isn't that amazing? Just hearing the words, I believed if I did what she said, it would be a benefit to me, and therefore I obeyed. And it was good. And I did something under instruction that I could not do outside of it on my own. I couldn't do it. I tried. I promised. Start Monday. Monday never came. But boy, Thursday came every week. You know what I mean? You sit and you benefit. But the words we speak should be those that would benefit others. And I think the inverse is true too. If you're speaking about someone speaking well of them, Speak truth, but speak well of them. I think that that's the call that we have. No longer poisonous words, rotten words, but words that build up others and benefit them. All right. Last couple here, and we're going we're to wrap up. Check this out, though. This is, so Paul's kind of building towards some stuff, you know, how we live and how we speak and the what, what things we do with our hands, right? But this next one here is he says... Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Now, (laughs) I keep saying this to you guys, but this is the church. He's writing to the church. And you would think that there was anybody in the planet that wouldn't grieve God, it would be the church. But Paul writes and says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't frustrate the Holy Spirit. The word actually says, don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Isn't that a weird word to apply to God's Holy Spirit? Don't make him sad. What in the world? What in the world could I do as a believer in Jesus to frustrate the Holy Spirit in my life? Do you ever ask that question? What is it that God would stand back and go, really? Really? Paul says, don't frustrate the Holy Spirit. I think everything we've been talking about is what Paul's indicating, instead, join God in his redeeming work. You remember that this comes in the middle of his teaching about putting off and putting on, putting off and putting on. And he's like, put off the old man and put on the Holy Spirit of God. That seed that he has in you, ban that into a flame, Paul writes to Timothy. That little spark that God's given you, work on it. Love it. Be with God in your life. This is crazy to me, but the truth is that you could be saved and be grieving God's spirit in your life. Isn't that amazing? You could know Jesus as Savior, you could know the gospel, and you could be frustrating God to no end because of your lack of obedience in his redeeming work. That one was amazing to me. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit, but instead join God in his redeeming work in your life. Let that seed grow. Encourage it, water it, nurture it until the day of fruition, the day, it says, the day of judgment. You've been set aside, sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, is what the word says. Here's the big mouthful. So after kind of Paul, I think that's the culminating word. Don't grieve God's Spirit in your life. That's the pinnacle of this, this you know this passage, this passage. Uh, section of scripture. But listen to what he says next in 31. Here goes a list, people. If you don't think he's hit all the stuff yet, check this out. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and along with every form of malice. Don't be bitter. Don't be, you know, raging. Don't be wrathful. Don't be brawling. Don't be hateful. And don't be evil. That's a laundry list. And if you look at that, are you like, man, I'm not anything like that. I don't know if you're like that. I look at that list and I go, oh my gosh, I'm so many of those things still in my life. And it grieves me. I'm so many of those things. And Paul says, get rid of all of it. What's the solution? Verse 32. Instead, be kind, be compassionate, and forgive each other. I want you to see what Paul's doing He's saying that these things cannot exist in the presence of these things, and these things can't exist in the presence of these things. And as children of God, those who would grieve the Holy Spirit, we could live wrathful, bitter, hurtful lives. And he says, don't live that way anymore. Instead, be kind, be compassionate, and forgive each other. And the why. Forgiving each other just as in Christ, God forgave you. I mean, in the same way he's shown grace to us, in the same way he's shown sacrificial love to us, generosity to us, he says, forgive each other, because the reality is that in Christ Jesus, you've been forgiven. I I hope something that's hard for you, I hope when you read that list, you're like, "Man, oh, that burn, I feel that, because I believe that's God's work in your life. I believe it's God's work in my life. And I hope that you and I will consider some of those things to put on instead, to put on instead. We have a small book in the back for, for folks come for the first time that's called, "How Good Is Good Enough?" And it challenges us to ask where our righteousness lies. If our righteousness lies in Christ himself, in the cross, as the song we sang earlier said, in the cross, we need that all the more now as we're called to be God's holy people. But we have to know that first. Put on Christ. Take off the sin. please pray with me if you would. Father God, we have come here to hear your word and to know truth and not what we want, Lord, and not the words that we would choose, but your holy word spoken over us. I pray today that first the, the gospel of grace is on us, that for those areas of our life where it hurts, that you would soothe the pain there. And yet, that your spirit dwelling in us would rise up and would really come forth in our lives that we could not go on sinning, that we could know that we're your children. Father, that somehow in your community of grace, of love, of truth, that we could find our place and we could be more with you, more what we were designed to be. And Father, I pray for every person here today, whatever it is, and Lord, you know the list. You know right now the list in our minds and the things that, you're, that we feel like we need to put off. I pray that you would help us to do that work and to put on this new life in Christ. Teach us your ways. Show us where you'd have us to go. Father, in everything that we do, everything, even in our repentance, everything that we do, I pray is glorifying to you for your glory and our good. May your name be made famous among us. May we celebrate, celebrate the gift that we have in Jesus. And may we live and dwell, walk and step with your Holy Spirit each day. Give you be praise and glory for the work, praise and glory for your way and this time together in Christ's name. Amen.